And I said, so what I have to do now is I have to go find those people because those people will have answers to my problems because I'm sure I'm not the first person to deal with these problems. I'm not the first person to run my own business. I'm not the first person who doesn't have two years tax returns and wants to buy a property. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Wayfinder Show, Louie, How you doing today? Doing good, man. You know, a little bit of a. It, it feels kind of different. We're on a new recording platform. Everything's a little, yeah, I know. little new. I know. Us here. New it's stuff. Right before Christmas, we got the new software we're trying out. So um, we got to also have a great guest today. And first of all, yeah. I want to apologize to our guest for the little uh, audio trouble, software trouble we ran into with our new software, but. Zachary Gray, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, I'm really excited to, you know, have this opportunity to just be able to share my experiences with everybody else in the industry who, you know, is interested in kind of cracking in and just getting started. And, um, you know, just want to say thanks. Cool, man. Well, it's good to have you. Can you uh, can we start by giving the listener a little background about who you are and what you're into? Yeah, of course. So my name is Zach Gray. Um, I I'm an entrepreneur by by trade. I got into real estate uh, roughly about two years ago. I sold at the time. I just owned a townhouse. I sold my townhouse and bought a house hack duplex. I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know how to be a landlord. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and at that time, from in that time frame, from then until now, in the last two years, uh, I've managed to grow from having a duplex to having ownership stake in about 137 units. Uh, I also own my own gym, uh, which is a strength and conditioning facility located in Needham, Massachusetts. And I'm also an ex-military vet. Hmm. Thank you for your service. Yeah, of course. But also, you were recommended to us by a, a previous guest, Andrew Freed, who's a bona fide badass. So I must <laughs> make you a, a badass by uh, association. So Andrew, Andrew Freed, and I and I are actually uh, immediate business partners. Uh, we basically do all of our deals together. Uh, so Andrew, Andrew is kind of like the the he's basically the admin rock star um he totally crushes it on the administrative side he's he's the one of the most organized people i know i can't uh you know commend him high enough in regards to his his sort of skills uh regards to myself how i kind of fit into the partnership with him uh i have given the fact that i own my gym and need him i have a significant amount of relationships with 
uh, high, high net income individuals who reside close to Boston, which helps us on the capital raise front. In addition to that, a lot of those people I have longstanding relationships with, um, given the fact that I've either helped them out of pain by working with them in the personal training space, or I've been working with them for a long period of time, uh, again, in the personal training space. And these people have grown to sort of know, like, and trust me. And then as time has gone along and we've scaled our real estate operation, I'm, I'm, you know, I, these, I spend more time with these people than I do with some of my immediate family members. So at the end of the day, these people are really, really close to me and, you know, they've begun, they've, they've sort of seen my ascent over the years from, you know, being sort of a standard service provider as a personal trainer in a commercial gym setting to owning my own strength and conditioning facility and, you know, the, the scaling that has corresponded in, in the real estate sector. And I think that once they started seeing uh, my my business skills in regards to the, the gym, as well as the success that I was having in the real estate space, I think a lot of them were intrigued to uh, pursue that option. And I think that ironically that, you know, my me in sort of bringing this to the table to them, what happened at the same time in which the economic conditions of the stock market were really disadvantageous over the last few years. So I think that a lot of these people viewed that as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, we're not getting great returns given the landscape of our economic circumstances right now. And uh, given the, you know, given the performances that Zach's laid out to us, I think that's really allowed for for them to seek a lot of value and and you know the propositions that Andrew and I were were putting forth for projects that we were finding and I think that a lot of people have the chance to take advantage of that and it ultimately worked out uh, to our benefit and so aside from the the, the investor relations side of things um, the second portion of kind of where I where I kind of slide into the equation is on the tenant relations side. So on the tenant relations side, uh, that's kind of my MO wheelhouse. I think that in real estate, I think a lot of folks who scale to a high degree in real estate, in order to scale, in order to scale in a big way, you have to have some, you know, some either you have to have access to money or you have to have money. And I think that, and because of my background, um, I I grew up pretty poor. I I'm an ex-military member. I think I come across and I and I work a blue-collar job. I think to a lot of people, I kind of present as a little bit more of like a common folk. And I think that when it comes to dealing with tenant relations, I think people can relate to me in a more real way. And I think that because of that, I have a lot of success in engaging with tenants. So I think that's really, you know, one of my superpowers in regards to like, how can I provide value, um, you know, in regards to me, you know, the team that Andrew and I have sort of developed and built. So there's a lot to unpack here and I'd like to get deeper into the real estate, but before we do to take a step back, you, you were a trainer, it sounds like at a gym, assuming one of those big box commercial gym type of scenarios. And then you decided to go ahead and, and venture off on your own. What made you want to start your own business, and what 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 did that process look like? Did you actually have a space, or did were you just kind of training people out of your home, or how did that whole thing start start to unfold? 
Yeah. So um, just unpacking that a little bit more. So effectively what ended up happening is when I got out of the military, I got into personal training. When I, I, I originally went to college for finance and business, when I graduated, I applied for both fitness, uh, fitness positions as a trainer, as well as business positions to just sort of weigh my options. And I got an opportunity where I could be a trainer at a high-end luxury facility called Equinox. Uh, this was located in Chestnut Hill. It's a really sort of, you know, bougie uh, gym that is, yeah, it's, it has a national presence. And I looked at this opportunity and said, I see a path here where if I succeed, I can make six figures in less than a year. And I said to myself, I'm either going to be successful at this thing and I thoroughly enjoy this and it will absolutely be positively impactful for my health, or I can basically, you know, wither away at a desk all day for 60 hours a week and, you know, start out making probably 60K a year and, you know, effectively be, you know, a, a peasant. And at that point, I looked at it and I said, that's also not going to be really positively impactful for my health. And so I looked at it and said, one, the path that is, you know, nine to 12 months that leads to me making six figures, I said, at a minimum, it's certainly worth taking a stab at. And so I ended up going down that path. Um, in the first nine months, I actually was able to hit that stride and I was able, I, I ended up being successful in that endeavor. And uh, during that time, I really committed myself to continuing education. And that was a real game changer for my, the professional landscape in the training space. And that kind of, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I'm going to skip kind of a little bit of time here, but effectively what ended up happening is we headed into the whirlwind that was 2020 and I sort of saw the writing on the wall prematurely and said, this is going to get ugly. And with that being said, one of the main things that set me up for success for that circumstance was I said, when I started earning six figures at Equinox, I said to myself, there is going to come a time here and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you know, for lack of a better term, shit's going to hit the fan economically. And I need to be prepared for that to happen. And given the fact that personal training as a whole is relatively uh, a luxury service, I'm going to be impacted in some way at some point by economic circumstances. So the entire time that I was at Equinox, as soon as I started making good money, I, I made it a I almost made it a game for myself where I said how efficient can I be in regards to my own living circumstances and I ended up being really practical surrounding my spending habits my lifestyle and was able to really set aside some significant capital given my earning at the time that put me in a strong position at the inception of COVID-19 in, you know, in the start of 2020 in that whole circumstance. And so at this time, what I was able to do is I was able to really pivot on the fly. 
I traded in at the time I drove a Honda, pretty practical. I traded it in. I bought a pickup truck. I bought a whole bunch of fitness equipment. I loaded in the back of the pickup truck. I was driving around house to house to house. Sometimes I was conducting anywhere from eight to 10 sessions per day. Um, and that's including drive time. So that's basically all I was doing all day. And as I was driving around in my commute in the morning, I was sometimes I was oftentimes starting at 5 a.m. and getting home probably close to 8 or 8 or 8.30 p.m. And at that time, there was nothing else to do. So effectively, I just sort of looked at it and said, well, I might as well just grind it out. Um, I was I was training people in their garages. I was training people outside on the Charles River. I was training people in parks. I was training people all you name it. Uh, and so, you know, at the same time, my employer Equinox was also basically put us on unemployment and we were collecting half our checks. So I'm collecting half my check from Equinox and then I'm simultaneously training clients, you know, outside at their house, so on and so forth and running my own business and growing my own business and it really, and I, and again, I don't, I don't really have a crazy amount of expenses and it's not like we're going out and doing anything to begin with. And that was sort of the same time in which I said, if I'm going to take a real stab at this business thing, I got to mitigate my risks. I have to create as little risk for myself as possible to do this. And I was sort of weighing the options of at some point, does it make sense to go back to the gym? Does it make sense to try and go all out on this? And I determined that I was going to go all out on it. And what I determined was that it was time for me to effectively sell my townhouse and then buy a duplex. And so what sort of brought me to this proposition was the entire time that I was driving around training all these clients, all I was doing was listening to bigger pockets. And so all I'm doing is just driving around client to client in between clients. I'm just rolling through episodes of bigger pockets. And I said, my biggest liability at this point is my housing. So I was able to mitigate my mortgage payment or, you know, basically eliminate my mortgage payment by buying a duplex that I could live in. And that's what I ended up doing was I bought a two family that I could live in. I was able to live for free. And this allowed for me to take all the capital that I had and, you know, not be concerned about how am I going to come up with this money to pay my bills? How am I going to be able to afford my lifestyle? I was just take I was just making money left, right, and center and saying, how can I grow my business? How can I be more efficient? How can I create opportunity for myself? And it really opens up a whole different mindset in regards to how you attack your business, your lifestyle, and it really allows you to just take a paintbrush and start to, you know, think about like, how could, how could I make this better? So how'd you hook up with Andrew? Cause you guys, you guys have also scaled really quickly at a time that's been scary for a lot of people in real estate, right? And uh, a lot of people have actually scaled back when you guys are scaling up. Yeah. So um, talk a little yeah. bit about how you guys got together and then what's your game plan. Sure. So I'm, when I got my first duplex, what I realized is that I realized how easy the management side of it and the landlord side of it was. And I also saw the writing on the wall of like, 
I began to start. So, I mean, having a business background, I, I understood sort of like macroeconomics to a, to a pretty decent degree. And then I think in addition to like me listening to bigger pockets, I think like you start to understand like the relationship behind like interest rates, Fed printing money, asset values and economic landscape. And I think that that plus like my academic background, I was able to see into what was happening, which was the Fed was effectively just printing stimulus. I saw what that would mean in the long haul for asset values. And I looked at it and I said, I don't even have two years of tax returns here, but I need to figure out any way possible. If I want to, if I want to float here, if I want to, you know, if I want to hang in here and I don't want to get left behind, I need to do everything within my power to try to acquire assets that will appreciate in value in, you know, as the fed is going to continue to print money endlessly. And that was my number one prerogative. And so at that time I had committed to that. And so, that was 2020, 2021. Exactly, right? exactly. And so right. during that time, I said, I don't have all the answers here. I don't have a vendor's list for contractors. I don't have, you know, a, a go-to closing attorney. I don't have go-to lenders. I don't have any of these relationships. I actually, the, for my duplex, I was able to go through a portfolio lender that I was able to receive a recommendation from from an individual who I found on bigger pockets forum. And so that was the only way that I was able to get that first duplex to begin with. And so at that time, what I determined is I said, I don't know all the answers here. And I said, but you know what? There's a lot of people out there who have done this, you know, for a long time and probably know a whole lot more than me on this topic. And I said, so my, what I have to do now is I have to go find those people because those people will have answers to my problems. Because I'm sure I'm not the first person to deal with these problems. I'm not the first person to run my own business. I'm not the first person who doesn't have two years tax returns and wants to buy property. I'm not the first person that um, is looking to tap into the equity in my, in my property that I bought to be able to buy more property. Like there was a whole slew of things. And so then what I started doing is I started seeking local meetups within my immediate area and how I could build my network in the real estate space to answer some of the questions that I had and trying to figure out how I could scale moving forward. And at the first meetup that I went to, the two first people that I talked to were my partner on my most recent deal and my immediate partner who is Andrew Freed. So that just goes to show like what the value is for attending meetups and actually how impactful going to your local meetups can be for your ability to scale. So kind of unpacking how that, that first meetup went. So I went to the first meetup and I'm talking with Andrew and I knew that the deal that I had gotten was a relatively killer deal but 
I'm talking to Andrew and he's mentioning all these metrics. Like he's mentioning like cash on cash return and how to calculate it. And like all these, like, you know, a list of itemized things that you have to include and in calculating that and using spreadsheets and so on. I'm like, dude, you lost me. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, I just like tried to go off like 1% rule. And I was like, I don't like really know like what you're talking about. And so I'm, so here I am, I'm telling him like, yeah, so my mortgage payment is like a little over 2,500 bucks and I can rent the upstairs for 2,800 bucks and that's not including the downstairs. So I'm like, you know, my cash flow is pretty awesome. And he was like, and so he's looking at me and he's like, that deal sounds good, but like, how does this guy like not even know how to like calculate cash flow? <laughs> and like, so I remember going home from that meetup and I was like, I feel so stupid. And I'm like, a lot of people when they feel stupid will, will effectively try to eliminate themselves from that environment. And what I said is I just looked at it and said, I have a whole lot more to learn here. So I started doing more research and trying to find, figure out info. And what I ended up doing was, you know, from that point forward, what ended up happening is I ended up going back the next month and I had a spreadsheet where I calculated the cash on cash return for the deal that I had. And I laid it out for him and he was like, that's a good deal. And so he was intrigued by the fact that I was able to find a good deal that I was able to capitalize on it. And he was actually able to compare apples to apples in the way that he would. And he was a little bit more experienced than me because he was working for an, an investor based brokerage as an agent. And he had a lot of mentors that sort of helped season him to talk the language of real estate in a way that I didn't. And at the time, what I determined was to get into my first house hack, given the fact that I didn't have two years tax returns, I had to put 20% down to even buy that property with a portfolio lender. And I, I took the equity from the townhouse that I sold and I put the capital that I had from the townhouse that I had sold plus capital that I had accumulated to put 20% down on the property. And at that time, I, you know, the first recommendation that Andrew had made was he was like, you got to HELOC that thing. He was like, you got to get all that capital back out so that you can start making moves. And so he actually hooked me up with uh, a lender that would do a HELOC up to 95% LTV on your primary residence. And so wow. that was, that was, the, those aren't around anymore. Those aren't around anymore. You can still, you can still get close to like 90 to 95, depending upon, uh, on really? off the lender that we use. Um, and so wow. if additionally, if anybody is interested in figuring out who that is, uh, please hit me up and I'd be happy yeah. to connect you. Um, yeah, we'll be asking you for your contact info at the yeah. end. I think a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Have that. And I think that with that being said, I, you know, what's better than you knowing the name of the bank, me connecting you directly to my contact. 
So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so right. we were able to 95, 95, uh, he locked it up to 95 LTV. I was able to pull out. And for those that don't know, sorry to interrupt, Zach. For those that don't know, HELOC is a home equity line of credit. LTV is loan to value. We're just talking about pulling money back out of a house that you already own and using it to invest in. So just to very loosely, just to kind of roll through that deal, um, I bought the property for $510,000. I put 20% down, which is $102,000. I was able to home equity line out $93,000. So I had my closing costs paid for me. I was in the deal for $9,000. I lived in the downstairs. I put about $30,000 of renovation into the property. So all, you know, cash in cash into the deal. I'm in it for $39,000. Um I rented the top floor out for 2800. I lived in the downstairs. My mortgage payment on it was 2560. So you know, I was plus a couple hundred dollars per month. Uh, fast, I was able to use so that ninety three thousand. What the analogy that I use is, I actually took so that ninety three thousand doesn't actually count against your DTI until you use it, and that's the most valuable like piece of information that I would use surrounding talking with people who are new investors who are looking to scale and get started. And the reason why that information is so impactful is that at that point on paper, I didn't have a lot of debt. And so what that allowed for me to do is that at that time, I I now had not used my FHA, you know, loan. So what I was able to do is I was able to then six to nine months from then, I was able to then go buy another house at 3% down, I was then I maxed out my DTI, so my debt to income ratio, but I still had that loaded gun that was my HELOC. So I still had access to that $93,000. So I put 3% down on my new primary residence. So I had a two family, I bought a three family with that 3% down loan, and I still had $93,000 in the form of a HELOC. And so, that was sort of the the move that really trampolined me from a success standpoint. And I vividly remember exactly where I was. It was a Friday night. I was walking my dog on some nature trails and I get a call from Andrew Freed. And he's like, hey man, he's like, there's this five unit that just went on the market in Worcester. He's like, it's a great price. He's like, I really think he's, and I, the last meetup that I went to, I told him, I was like, I got this 93 K HELOC. I was like, let me know if you find something I'm down. And I think I said it with such conviction that he, he looked at it and it was like, this guy's a straight shooter. Like he's not looking to play games. He's looking to scale. And so he hit me up and said, I can't take this down by myself, but you know, I think it's a really great deal. And he's trying to like pitch me on this whole thing. And I was like, slow down, slow down, slow down. I said, What's the price? What's the price per unit? I knew the price per unit and what it traded for in Worcester. I knew it was a fair price. And he comes back and he's like, you know, it's 650K for five units. It's 130K a unit uh, at the time. And I knew that Worcester traded for about 150K a unit at the time. And I'm like, sounds like a great deal. Let's do it. And he was like, just like that? 
let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah, like, let's. It's like, what's the IRR, man? What's yeah, the cash on like, cash? I was like, you with all the let's numbers. meet up for dinner next week. Let's talk partnerships details. I said, additionally, when can we get in to view it? I said, let's set it up. I was like, if it's good, I'm down. And so nice. he basically hit up the agent nice. and said, we can view it on Tuesday. I got us the first showing. Um, and, you know, we can kind of go from there. And we looked at it on, on Tuesday. It was better than I anticipated. And we basically just – we're literally in the driveway of the property. He's putting an offer sheet together on his cell phone. And we're like docu-signing it on the cell phone. And we like sent it over to the agent. And we're like, do not show this property to anybody else. <laughs> and so uh, – Good job. You know, fast forward a year. It took us about nine months to stabilize that property. And there's a lot that's happened since then. But that was effectively my first partner deal. That was a home run of a deal. And we bought it at six fifty. We got great debt terms. We got construction money from the bank, from the lender that we used, which was a phenomenal play. It expedited the stabilization of the property. So we're all in it for seven hundred. And we just actually uh, just got a line of credit on that property for one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So we were able to pull one hundred and sixty thousand out, and we're I think we were only in it for like two two twelve of our own money. So that's a great deal. Nice, man. So, Zachary, at, at a high level, quickly wondering, what, what is your – so that that was a different time, right? Like second half of 22, things changed. 100%. The world changed and money was a little harder to come by. Deals were harder to come by, all that. But you guys have been buying like a lot. I've been watching you guys and, and you, you're really scaling at a high level where, where a lot of people aren't. What's been the logic behind that? Because it is, you know, debt is more expensive, right? I mean, debt is not as available, all of that. Why Why are you buying? So I can't, I can't even tell you how many people in my network, in my social circle that are, have come up to me and they're like, that may, you know, that understand real estate. I have some friends that don't understand real estate and they're like, what are you going to do if the market goes down? What are you going to do if there's a downturn and, and prices go down by 10 or 20%? And my answer to them is that if you have cash flowing properties, you can weather just about any storm. And so I'm, you know, to attest to me and Andrew's philosophy, we're buying value add properties at good prices. So we not so it's like we're putting twenty to twenty five percent into deals. Then we're then we have value add equity that's being acquired on top of that. So it's like we're twenty to twenty five percent vested. Even if there's a fifteen to twenty percent downturn, we're losing the equity that we built into it. So if you have commercial lending products that are on five year adjustable rate mortgages or seven year adjustable rate mortgages. You're not going to have a tr- you're not going to have trouble when if you have to go refinance that loan in 5 to 7 years if you have baked in equity that you built into the deal because you're buying you're buying value add multis. So what we were doing is we were putting 20 25% down, then we're buying deals where there's at least a, at least a 20% 15 to 20% window of appreciation based off of performance improvement so that if there's a 15 to 20% retreat 
we're effectively back at the starting point. So we have no concerns surrounding the ability to refi, the ability to acquire lending. And then we're buying properties where the cash on cash on these properties upon stabilization is somewhere in the realm of, you know, we have, we have deal. I have deals that we've on average, no deal that we have acquired aside from one deal in the last two years, every deal that we have acquired is cash on cash, 10% or better. So I look at that and say, if I'm cash flowing 10% or better, and I'm already baking in vacancy, CapEx, maintenance, all of these intangibles, and you're building buffers in, like we're saying it's cash on cash 10% with those factors. Like some of our deals are performing better than 10% cash on cash. And I think that if you're looking at it and saying, hey, I got a 10% cash on cash window here, and it could perform at a higher threshold than that, and I am have value add appreciation in there so that if there's a retreat, I don't have to worry about my finance financing. That puts you in a really strong position. And then when you're pumping out deals like that for investors, they're looking at the stock market saying, hey, I'm in a stock market. I'm pretty much treading water here or I'm making, you know, 3%, 5%. And I'm looking at these guys saying, hey, we're baking in, you know, if we're baking in 20 to 30%, 40% equity appreciation and we're getting 10% cash on cash, even just the 10% cash on cash outperforms the market. So when you're talking about baking in an extra 20, 30, 40% in regards to equity, even if you're splitting that 50, 50 down the middle, it's a no brainer for these investors. They're looking at that saying, I could park my money there for three to five years and I'm fine with it. And so now when you take that and you put that on paper and then you're able to pitch it out to your network, you know, you've got a lot of takers. And I think that if you're able to replicate that model yeah. over and over again, you know, your ability to scale is only, is only, you know, uh, bottleneck by your ability to find deals. And so that's kind of where we've been at in regards right. to the last few years where our main prerogative is find deals that will cash flow, buy as many cash flowing properties as possible. And if your if your properties are all cash flowing, then, you know, you can weather just about any storm and, you know, puts you in a real strong position. Good job, man. I think that's the right way to approach this. I, you know, I, I would also say, you know, blood is on the streets right now. And so uh, it's great that you're taking advantage of it because that's that. And, well, and, and, to, and to further your point, uh, you know, one of the other things is like, yeah, as, as lending, as lending has become more and more expensive and capital has become more and more expensive in the form yeah. of interest, there's, as you mentioned, there's right. fewer and fewer buyers, there's fewer and fewer uh, there's few and fewer people that are looking to dip their toes into the water. And if you can find properties at this point, even if they cash flow at, you know, 7%, 8%, 9%, what does that look like when rates go down a point or two points? And so I think that when you have a, a portfolio that's performing at 10% cash on cash for spread across a multitude of deals that you've done, Anything that you're buying now that's even at 7%, 8%, 9%, your ability to feel strongly about the ability to support those deals um, in the short term um, as lending, you know, as you're, as you're waiting for lending conditions to change, which, by the way, 
Uh, I'm not sure how much you guys are paying attention to what the Fed put out over the last couple of days, but things are looking pretty good. Uh, Fed basically announced that they're okay. not going to be uh, instituting any future rate hikes moving forward. They said there's going to be a multitude of uh, rate reductions moving into 24. So uh, any properties, again, that have sure. been acquired over the last few years with rates at six, six and a half, seven, seven and a half, all those properties, as they start to tick the rates back down, your cash flows are only going to look a whole lot nicer. Well, good job, man. I, I think we're at that point where we got to zip through the uh, our famous Wayfinder 4. So uh, if you can tell us, what is a, like a hack that you use? Life so hack? in regards to life hack, I think, I think the thing that's been really impactful for me is two, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two answers and I'll try to be brief here. One is I in in the notes section of my phone, I write down all of the things that are impactful for me to do as I think of them, and I just leave them in queue. And then what I do is as any time that I have capable of being able to allocate towards Anytime that I am not working, I'm just trying to tack that list. And then anything that requires me to reach out to other people in my network, uh, people that work for me, whether in my gym, whether in real estate, um, it doesn't matter. Anytime that I have to reach out to somebody else, I have a symbol that I put next to those items. So what I know is I know, hey, these are things that I can attack solo and that I haven't hit yet. And these are things that are in process with other people. And so now what happens is anytime something's in process, I now know, hey, I got to follow up on that thing if I don't hear back on it in a, short, in, a, in, a, in a period of time that's reasonable. So it allows for me to never lose sight of things in process. And it allows for me to constantly have a, a to-do list so that as soon as I have a moment free for, for myself to be able to, to go at it, I have an itinerary of a never-ending list of things that I could go after. And so that's been really impactful for me to get meaningful amounts of work done. That's kind of number one. And then number two is um, I stole this one from Bigger Pockets, so it's like not an original. But the first, so within the first month of the year, my wife and I, we basically book an Airbnb. We pick a place that's really boring. We pick a place that has nothing fun to do. And we pick an Airbnb and we hang out there for a long weekend. And our main prerogative is to discuss the year ahead of us. And so we not only like Great. what we hit on is we break it down into categories. We break it down into um, financial goals, career goals. And those are like the boring ones, right? And then what we do is we go over like things that are really meaningful, like your family, right? What do you want to get better with? Like, what are things that you want to see improve with your family? How do you want your social circle to change over the next year? How do you see your relationship with your significant other changing over the next year? Um, and how are those things going? How are relationships with your family going? How are relationships with your social circle going? How is the relationship with your significant other going? And you can start start talking about like then additionally um, one another one that I really like that I add in there that I stole off of a, a book that I that I read is if you had an eighth day of the week 
what would that and you had you you did not have to work there was no ability to work on that day if you had an eighth day of the week what things would you include on that eighth day that would make you happy and so we talk about what are the things that make you happy intrinsically and including those eighth day items into your day-to-day life. And so we write all of these things down and, and you can go into like, you know, more detail. You can break it down into more categories. We do like continuing education as well and other things. And so we write it all down and talk about it amongst me and, you know, and my wife. And this has like been really impactful to like a great level of like homeostasis in the home life. So like now it's like, Hey, my wife and I are on the same page surrounding like, If I say like, hey, I want to go play basketball on a weeknight, she looks at it and she's like, oh, Zach mentioned this as like something that's like really important for him in regards to like his hobbies. Like, you know, I'm not going to like get upset about that. And so it allows for like, or like, hey, Zach wants to go to like one real estate meetup per month. Like I know that's really impactful for him. So like it, it allows for you and your significant other to like really be on the same page surrounding like what's important to each other. And it, it, it creates this sort of, Un, unspoken understanding that allows for you to like operate your life in a way that's like not as conflict oriented. And I think additionally, putting all your ideas on paper, um, it, it really can be meaningful to you, like really making some strides. So those are the two hacks that I have that I have really changed sort of the, the, the way that, you know, my life is. So now what's a favorite? This could be favorite book, movie, band, activity, Uh, anything you like. I'm going to use that one. And I'm actually going to list a non-popular one. Um, There's actually, actually, I'll I'll list one. (laughs) Um, My favorite book that was the most impactful for my life and how my life has changed over the last few years is a book called Go Giver. That is my number one book. And the reason... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Go Giver is great. We've yeah, had no, many we, people we, list that. It's a very and, popular and, book in our Yeah, we And the reason why I say that show, in business is that you reach a point you reach a point where you cannot do everything on your own. And so when you reach a point where you can't do everything on your own, you have to rely on other people and in order to in order to get other people to row the boat in the same direction as you you have to be generous with them and you have to make it enticing for them to want to achieve the same things together with you. And I think the less selfish you are and the more mindful you are of trying to help reward others for helping you and working with you, the, the more you can accomplish. So Zach, what's, what's a, a quick piece of advice that you Buy more real estate younger, younger, number one. And perfect. Number two, perfect. Speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one would change Um, somebody's life right there. Speak truthfully to the highest degree to every person that is meaningful in your life, and you will end up creating a self-fulfilling network of people with like-minded ideas. Now, what's one thing that prevents people from being happy? The opposite of that sugarcoating things to try to appease people not being truthful to their own values and beliefs and then getting upset and frustrated when their 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 beliefs and their morals and their values aren't being upheld 
Cool. Love it, man. So, Zach, well, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, especially because we, we need your lending contact. So, uh, yeah. So, get, uh, you can find, find me at the1099mindset on Instagram, at the1099mindset. And I'll be happy to, if you guys, if you guys live in Massachusetts and you guys want to do deals together, I'll, I have no issue partnering with anybody. I'm down to collaborate. I'm, you know, it's like the more, the merrier, the more, the more deal flow that people have, right? Everybody wins. If you partner up, everybody wins. If, if you guys are looking for con, you know, contractors, happy to refer contractors. If you guys are looking for a sweet attorney, that's going to help save your deals. I'm happy to help you there. If you guys uh, want some lending contacts, people that are going to give you some money, hit me up. Thank you, Zachary. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on the, uh, on the Wayfinder show. You, you've given us a lot of very sage advice. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. And I hope that I hope that the things that I, that I shared today can add some value to people who are either looking to get in the game or who are already in the game and – Ultimately, this is, you know, one journey that we're all on together. And, you know, the end of the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the more the more people that adopt this this sort of approach and lifestyle, um, you know, the more people that we have on the on the road to, you know, financial freedom. Right. Hell yeah, man. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.